This is The Straight Dope, episode 74. I'm going to talk about something unplanned here because I have been talking about it with a few people over the last couple of days, and it's just interesting to me. So before we get back to the regular style of podcast, I'm going to talk about what I'm going to be calling You're Drinking What They're Selling, which is a training scar phenomena that I see, and it repeats itself, and it's probably infinite, and it probably exists in everything that we all do. But, um, but I want to talk about it anyway. Right. And so this is going to focus back not on tech, but like how do you stay focused and do the things you need to do to reach the goals that you want to do without kind of overly being tricked by other stuff? And it's complicated, but to me, the way I'm going to stay focused is by thinking that I'm interested in marksmanship. I would love for there to be an outlet that tested rifleman skills, marksmanship skills, kind of in a holistic context that really did show you who's the best marksman, who's the best rifleman, who's the best shooter. And I don't, I don't really think that's out there. To me, Riflecraft does that the best because it quantifies and it tracks over time and allows you to know where your weaknesses and strengths are so that you can measure it based off of you because there aren't good measures to base it off of other people uh, at the moment. But because marksmanship is the focus and rifleman skills are the focus, and there aren't real good outlets for testing that. Um, it's easy to be distracted by all sorts of squirrels. And the one that stood out that initiated this was um, we go through a process at the unconventional skill assessment where we true our data on four targets minimum because I'm shooting at four distances primarily, and they're all the same. So once I know what you need to dial for target one, target two, target three, target four, I know that that's what you need to dial, and I can watch whether you make a mental mistake, whether you dial, whether you hold, but it's going to stay the same over the course of the whole assessment. And then there's four variants of those in in 150-degree span left to right. And so I've got a lot of options, but I'm not super concerned about vertical because um, we're, we're measuring marksmanship and other things like that. But because of that, it makes it very easy. You go, we say, okay, let's true your data. All right, cool. Shoot the target. Did you hit the truing bar? No. Yes or no? What's you know? What does it take for you to hit your truing bar from a couple positions? Then we write down that data. You know, let's say it takes three point one mils for you to hit target A. Cool. Three point one mils is going to be your dope for you know the you know target A. Uh, you know, left one, two, three, four, left to right, the whole weekend basically. Right. When it gets hotter, you might have to take off a tenth, maybe, or in the morning you might have to add a tenth, but but you're going to basically hit the truing bar and you're going to hit the big and the small targets, no problem, that's it. But what, what I see sometimes is we, we know that, so we can put it on paper, you have hard data, you're ready to go, let's do the assessment that focuses on marksmanship, not focuses on the technology you have or your ballistic calculator or what kind of equipment that you have necessarily, the quirks and ins and outs of that. That's not what I care about. I don't want to concentrate on that. But people usually default back to their Kestrel because they're using it for wind and so on. So they say, okay, I'm going to write down my dope. Well, we know your four numbers. Right? We, I, I've got it memorized, but some people default to like, they look back at their Kestrel. All right, so that target A is here, 3.1 mils. They look and their Kestrel says 3.5 mils. So they shoot 3.5 mils. They miss over the top. We know it was 3.1 mils. We had trued it the other day. You depend on your Kestrel. Oh my God, something's wrong. My rifle's wrong. My barrel must be shot out. My barrel must be speeding up. My load's wrong. No, you know, your Kestrel just isn't done right, but we know reality is is 3.1 mils. But instead of just saying, I know what reality is, they start panicking about their equipment. And so 
that kind of dependence on your system is a training scar. And it's an interesting one to me because we're constantly fed social media uh, advertising campaigns. And some of them are really clever, right? Like whether, I mean, this might be, um, I've noticed a trend. This, this may or may not be true, but, um, you know, several years ago I saw Dorgan Trostel shooting, uh, Burris, uh, elevation turret that was white and he put markers on it and, and he spun it, whatever. And so over the next couple of years in field matches like competition dynamics, I see occasionally those white turrets that they put their marks on to make the field matches work like that. And Dorgan is a remarkable shooter. And Burris and Dorgan, um, they shoot they shoot together, they do matches around here, so I get to see that a lot. And it's something that, that some shooters do. Um, but, but in the last few months, uh, Morgan King has been talking about the speed tape stuff that goes on to his turrets and his podcast and how, you know, it makes him faster and so on and so forth, right? And, and, and so that gets some attention. And, and, and so now everybody's downloading tape to stick on their turrets and put speed dial stuff on there. And, and then, um, and now, yesterday I saw Leupold magically has a speed dial turret that's coming out. This, it looks cool. It's a gold one. It looks like you can write on it. I haven't touched it. I haven't seen it. But I did see, oh, well, that makes sense. Morgan's a Leupold shooter. They're coming out with this fancy thing. If he kind of preloads it with, the shooting tape and marks and you can do this, but guess what? Nobody is a better shooter with any of that, right? It's a distraction, just like your Kestrel. First, you want to be a better shooter. Being faster by one second on dialing your dope isn't going to bring you to Morgan's level of shooting, right? It's going to shave off a half. It'd be like if I put on uh, Usain Bolt's fancy running slippers and I shaved off an eighth of a second on my mile time. Well, guess what? I don't need to shave an eighth of a second off my mile time. I need to shave a few minutes off my mile time if I'm going to be competitive, right? So how do you shave a few minutes? How do you become a marksman that's not a three MOA shooter and they're a half an MOA shooter like Morgan? It's not from speed dials. But it's, it's clever because everybody sticking tape on their turrets but while you're sticking tape on your turrets guess what somebody's at a range getting to be a better marksman right so drinking what they're selling isn't always what the answer is because everywhere you look there are these distractions right do i shoot burger bullets or hornady bullets do i shoot night force or loophole do i shoot sig or vortex um do I shoot benchmark barrels or proof barrels? Is, should I use applied ballistics or Ford off? And the list goes on and on and on. And the answer is you should be becoming a better marksman. All the shit that you're being distracted with, sir, it fuels the economy. A lot of it's probably as you go up, you know, the company ownership, shit is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's all owned by the same company creating a, uh, you know, one of those scenarios where you hear like, you know, company X owns drink brand A and drink brand B. But when you look at marketing of drink brand A and drink brand B, they're in complete opposition of another. You know, imagine if there was a company that, that sold like, um, you know, a brand that appealed to, you know, 
red-blooded Americans, and then there's blue-blooded Americans or something like that, you know, but, but it's all the same company uh, packaged in a different label. We want to be marksmen, so let's think about the things that make us better marksmen and the clever tricks that people are using to eke out very, 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 very tiny incremental gains. Those incremental gains really only matter at a higher level, right? And, and I think it's easy to be distracted by it for sure because there aren't too many outlets but there's a lot of options and there's not a lot of straightforward um, answers on you know, wh- how to achieve the goals that you're going after because there aren't really any really good goals. Like w- one thing now people are starting to say, oh, I got invited to the PRS finale. Well, shit, you could buy your way into the PRS finale. Fuck, I mean, you know, if, if a shooter qualifies for it in three matches and they only shoot three matches and then another shooter qualifies for it in 20 matches, you know, they, yeah, they, they spent like, $30,000 to get there, but they still bought their way into it. It doesn't mean they're a better marksman. And then at the end of the day, you know, the guy that got there in three matches is probably going to do better anyway. So so then the whole season comes down to one competition, and that's not really a good measure because everybody can have a good or a bad day, but a measure of a year or a whole season of growth and progress and points should probably be more spread out and it should probably be more indicative of an average, right? Like, um, But... All I'm saying is that you can be distracted, but there's no good measure. So um, that, to me, is really fascinating because we rely on all this equipment. And then we're, we're fed it so much that we start to think, oh, my God, I need this scope. or Oh, my God, I need this product or this bag. It's like, no, you probably don't. Just get whatever and use it. It's probably not going to make that much of a difference. And if it does, then you need to think about where is it coming from, right? If I absolutely need one product to do good at that one competition, that product is probably manipulating the design of that particular competition, right? If I absolutely need a game changer to perform at a competition, right, there's going to be, we're going to find a connection between game changers and the match director for that thing, right? But that's not a marksmanship contest. That's just, it turns out they're friends and they designed a competition based around that and there's nothing wrong with it other than we got tricked, right? We're buying what they're selling and they're selling two things and they're in cahoots with each other. But that's not a measure of what we think it is, right? So anyway, I think that's really that's really interesting and it's worth thinking about because um, if that's what you want, like that's super cool. But if you want to get better, you need to be practicing what's going to make you better and that is usually blood, sweat, and tears, not dollars and cents. On the other hand, dollars and cents drives life, right? So we can't do anything without a uh, job and income and, and so on and so forth. And then it, then it gets really, really fishy, right? And so, um, you know, I don't know. Somebody will gladly pay $30,000 to get into the PRS finale. That's really cool. I could go to the PRS finale. It was funny. I, I mean, I, I, I can't because I didn't shoot any and I'm not a member and I don't do that. But I was saying like, shit. I would be willing to say I could get a bullet, but somebody would have to pay me to do it because I'm just not that interested to it. But I'd be willing to, to, to go out online and say, well, shit, people, people will pay huge quantities of money just to be able to go, but you'd have to pay me huge money just to go. But I could say for sure I would get a bullet because if it was enough money that I could go to all the competitions, then there would be no way that you wouldn't get it. So 
I don't know. It just comes down to like, where's your value? Do you value skill or do you value spending money to kind of just hang out and have fun? You know, I, I mean, that, that, that comes down to us. But at the end of the day, marksmanship will win, right? Skills will win. And as things grow, we'll see that get finer and finer and finer. And, and so I think that that's really interesting and fascinating. Now, I'm going to put the brakes on this and talk about the weekend a little bit closer. Um, I had shot a Guardian, and Josh Lemon is one of the guys that does the training for the Guardian, and he shoots for Kelblees, and neither of which I knew a ton about. And so I wanted him to come out and shoot for the weekend, do an assessment. And then we went into Mile High and checked out some products and hung out with Frank and looked at some products. And then we ran some assessment stuff for some guys. And it was it was super cool. Um, I'd never shot a Kelblees rifle. You know, I'm not associated or affiliated with them, but they are very, very nice rifles. I, I, was, I was really impressed. And uh, he had a Thunder Beast 338 can and whole... Holy shit. That thing is quiet as can be. And it reduced the recoil impulse more than my Hellfire break. You know, side by side, we shot them. You know, I had like a 16-pound rifle with a Hellfire on it, and he had a 338 can on his. And it was noticeably more stable, flat, and less recoil. So I was, I was pretty surprised by that. But it was incredibly quiet. And so I'm going to have to get a 338 can from Thunderbeast now to add to my arsenal of suppressors, which was pretty cool. Uh, Guardian is a pretty cool match. It, there's, there's no question that it is the entry point for new shooters to competition because of the way it's structured. First of all, there's no season points. There's no real much. It doesn't mean a whole lot. And they allow you to coach anybody that's struggling on the clock. So if you could tell somebody's a new shooter or struggling and shit, even a good shooter that's struggling and they get on the wrong target, you can yell at them to uh, get on the right target or, um, you know, you could, you could do whatever you want. There's rules for sure. But it's friendly in the sense that if you were going to go out and shoot with your friends or shoot with people that you wanted to, you know, hang out with and shoot with for the weekend, there are very few few restrictions in terms of helping someone out who's struggling on the clock. And so for a new shooter, that's really cool because you get squatted up with good and new shooters. The good good shooter can say, "Hey, man, this is how I would approach it," and nobody nobody gets upset. And um, in fact, they encourage it, and it's very positive. And then after the first day, you pair up. And the good shooters pair up with shooters who aren't as good, and then they can coach them through a team competition the second day. And it's all focused around camaraderie and celebrating, you know, the the fun that we have shooting without being obsessed about the points and so on and so forth. And then they do have prize tables, just like all, you know, big shooting competitions. But instead of walking the table in terms of performance, uh, it's just a raffle. So you buy raffle tickets, and then you get to walk the prize table. And... I have been to a lot of shooting competitions. I've never seen a prize table with so much stuff, like high-end stuff, like zero compromise, night force, rifles, uh, Cubley's rifles, uh, Sig Sauer, you know, binoculars, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. And all that money gets donated, right, 100% of it to uh, kids' charity. So that, that was really cool, and it was really positive. Everybody was psyched. And you get to learn 
how to compete better and how to shoot better and how to see stages better without the pressure and um, stress and drama of some of the other leagues. So I thought that was really cool. Another thing that I got to see is Frank had some of the new Zeiss scopes, and you know I get the people. Some people want to obsess about politics and stuff about Zeiss as a company. I, I don't like. You know, I'm not associated with anybody. Um, you know I've dropped my affiliations, so I can talk about stuff on the podcast uh, without having strings attached. And the new S3 line is. They're kind of affordable line, and they're affordable. The, the S3, I don't even know if they're out. I know uh, Mile High Shooter Supply in Colorado. I talk about them all the time. They're just down the street from me. You know, they, they have awesome ammo. They have awesome rifles. They, I talked about the um, spur chassis that I saw in there the other day. I actually went in, and I saw uh, the new Accuracy International chassis, the ATX chassis for the 700 footprint actions, which... I didn't know it was coming, but it's super interesting because the the sometimes the AI actions people have a hard time getting used to the bolt throw, and, and some some people love them; they shoot really good. But some people like their Remington 700 barreled actions, and the idea of not having to buy a complete new rifle but get a chassis that that goes into is remarkable because that chassis right now it's got a low center of gravity, it's stable, it's functional. You know, I've been testing one for a year, over a year, and and the chassis itself is is pretty cool. So I'm excited to be able to test one out. Hopefully, maybe they'll have a loaner and I can go over and test it. But I did see they have one on display, and they'll be selling them. Um, but uh, wait, I just got um, squirreled there. Uh, the Zeiss is also there. Their S3 and Frank Galley has a couple. I looked through them, and the glass quality for the price point is comparable to kind of a tier up, right? For, for a $2,000 scope, I could not, I did, I did, you know, I, I had one with a parallax kind of issue and it was kind of uh, something's wrong with the internals or something like that. And so uh, a different, not, not the S3 ones, but you know, so now the first thing I do with scopes when I, when I look through them is first I go through all those mechanical checks. I go up, go down, you know, track them, make sure that there's no mechanical or optical flaws. And and I just couldn't believe how clear the glass was uh, and how crisp and clear the clicks on the turrets were. So for that price point in that $2,000 range, um, super, super impressed. And it has, you know, illuminated reticle. And I know that, that Maha is going to be carrying them soon. So if, if, if you're in that price point, that's where I would look. If if you were in a lower price point, like if you say, wow, $2,000 is a mid-range scope? Like, holy shit, yeah. I mean, you got four or five plus $1,000 scopes at the high end. In the mid-range, I would call like a $2,000 scope. And in the affordable range, you've got the kind of sub-$1,000 scopes. And in the sub-$1,000 scopes, so far I haven't found anything that competes with AccuFire uh, in that range. The AccuFire... Uh, Atro and and uh, other other ones that they have there is just really hard to compete with the price point for the and and I like to put those affordable ones through extra beat down because then I don't you know if if I if I spend eight hundred bucks it's a lot easier for me to justify breaking it even though they have a lifetime guarantee um, than 
something that was $5,000 and it has a lifetime guarantee. It's like, man, this kind of hurts to do this. But um, for some reason, it's easier for me to be harder on cheaper scopes. And the AccuFire is good. But that tearing that out, I was, I was really impressed. Like the, um, you know, AccuFire and the Sub-1000, these new Zeiss. Now, I didn't put them through any sort of beatdown because they're Franks, but, but I did go through, you know, just the kind of preliminary, like, are there any immediate negatives? And they just weren't. So, um, so I was impressed. Th- and those are over at Mile High. So go check out. Uh, Mahai's website, or or call or or email Randy at Mahai, and and he'll he's the owner, and actually he probably didn't want me to say that, but he's the guy to ask if you're going to buy that stuff, because um, you know, I don't know, I figured just I like to go to the source, so uh, very very good, and uh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Marksmanship, that's always the anchor, right? So let's go back to marksmanship. If you're struggling, right, and I had a conversation with somebody today, and you think that you're flinching or you're doing recoil anticipation or has something to do with your trigger because your group's a little bit bigger on paper, what could you do? Well, there's a lot of things you do, but you don't know what's causing it, right? So here was my train of thought. Let's figure out what's causing it. If you put in dummy rounds and you notice that you're flinching like you do with a pistol, like, you know, okay, I'm recoil anticipating, but why think I need a new trigger or I need a lighter trigger? So my idea was this. If, if you're recoil anticipating, well, let's do an experiment. It may or may not work, right? But if it has something to do with your trigger or your anticipation, instead of going lighter, let's make your trigger heavier. Let's make your trigger heavier and now extend your trigger pull from pull the trigger now to let's slowly add pressure over the next five or six or seven seconds until at some point it goes off and you're maintaining a perfect sight picture and you're maintaining perfect reticle control and you're holding all your fundamentals and you've got a 90 degree trigger pull, bang, it goes off. You didn't anticipate it. You're applying proper fundamentals on a heavier trigger and that'll show you where it's coming from. But people don't say, oh, make your trigger heavier because it might help you identify where it's coming from. They say, oh, you need a new product, or you're doing this, or you're flicking the trigger, or you're doing something or other, but, but it's hard to... Ant- if that didn't work, okay, fine. We did a good test. We know it didn't work. Let's move on to something else. But isolate and then replicate, and once you've identified it, find a way to fix it and permanently remove it from your shop process so that now you shoot better with what you have rather than thinking you need all this crazy stuff. You don't need all this crazy stuff. You don't need to add things. Sometimes you just need to play with different ideas to find out what it is that you're doing that can then allow you to shoot better. And when you shoot better, then you can add, take out some of that time, right? Because if you do everything fast, but you take that time to shoot slow and the shot goes where you want it, who cares? We can always make things faster, but sometimes we rush to do things fast and, and, and it gets sloppy and then we have no idea what it is and then we start blaming the equipment and want to do uh, things that, that obviously fuel the economy, but they don't necessarily make us better marksmen. Which leads me to another thing. I just posted a picture of one of my dry fire pictures. You know, I've been talking about it. I've mentioned it to some other people, but I don't spend a ton of time dry firing 
in a traditional sense, but I do for locate, range, and engage at the beginning of the season. And so I print out very big pictures, and I digitally inserted targets in them, and I made dozens of variations so I couldn't memorize where those targets were. And rather than observing through binoculars, you know, some weirdo was like, whoa, I didn't realize you could... It's like, man, okay, fine. You got you to gotta kind of do with, you know, work with what you have, right? So if I, if I locate the targets, which are very, very small, right? They're two MOA max on this big poster that I print out. It's bigger so that I actually have to pan so my field of view doesn't expose the whole target. And I zoom in deliberately so that I have to pan around to simulate panning. But I have this field of view that's zoomed in and I can find targets. So I write where they are and I write down the distances. I just make those up because you can't tell how the distances are. Write down where they are, what the distances are, and then I come off the glass. And now I should have target reference points memorized. I should have distances written down. I should be able to now get on my rifle on the same magnification and locate, range, and engage or reacquire the targets, dial my elevation, and engage them in a very fast kind of secondary section of that dry fire such that it equates to whatever the competition is or the scenario that I'm going into. So in a hunter context, I want to be able to locate those targets. And I put six because of competition dynamics and it extends the time a little bit and I'm pretty good at locating and ranging targets. So I put six on these, but some of them I have 10 to four, but I don't know how many there are so that at some point I have to make a decision when do I start shooting the ones that I found out so I don't get a zero because that's a strategic um, decision. And sometimes you don't know when should I go versus when, when should I try to find them all. And we all get stubborn at first to be like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find them all. And then beep, time's up, you get a zero. Nonetheless, if you go in and you create the target reference points on the clock, find them, write them down, and then, you know, get off the rifle, get back on the rifle, and then go through the dry fire process of reacquiring your sight picture, dialing your elevation, engaging it, going to the next one because you've got this mental image of where the targets are and you can reacquire those within the four minutes. That gives you an advantage at these competitions because you've gone through those scenarios. And the reason you do like 10 or more variations of those targets is that you don't memorize where they are on the target so that You've got this identical sight picture, and you, and you do it for a number of landscapes. Um, that is priceless because now you're not only locating, but you're creating that mental picture of index reference points. And then when you get back on the rifle and you're zoomed in and you have to pan around, you have to remember where those were. You have to remember, you have to look down at your data to remember that one is at 400 yards. But that's where you catch where are the things that I forget to do? And the things that you forget to do, those are the elements that go into your shot process. So remember I told you my shot process, target, position, anchor, sight picture, data, wind, uh, fire. And fire, you know, follow through and so on and so forth. So those are the things to me that make sure that I get on and shoot and follow a procedure that I don't forget and, and so on and so forth. But if for some reason you always canted your rifle hard, then you might want to do position, say picture, data, check cant, 
check wind, now fire. So you catch those things going through the motions of that kind of shot process, that kind of dry fire technique, because you've gone through the start to finish, and then you know, oh, I forgot to do that. Well, that needs to go back into your checklist, and you need to recite that every single time so that you don't. And those those low-hanging fruit of mental mistakes are the elements that have to be in your shot process. You don't want to make a part of your shot process something that you never forget because you don't need that. You never forget it. Your shot process should be the things that you forget sometimes, and that's it, right? You don't need the things that you never forget, like... I need my rifle, right? That's not a part of my shot process, right? Oh, where's my rifle, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it sounds silly, but the only things you really need are, and that's why I have target. I need to see my target. I need to know where it is. I'm looking at it, right? You know, I'm, I'm staring at it. My shit's by my side or I'm holding it or whatever. I'm staring at the target. Position. I build the position so that my rifle's pointed at the target that I'm looking at. The rifle's pointed at the target so that its natural point of aim is mostly zero, right? Natural, neutral. I'm looking at the target. The rifle's pointed at the target. Now I anchor to it. It should still be pointed at it. I should be in a position that I could shoot the rifle. I'm anchored to it so that I could manage the recoil. I'm still staring at the target. I'm looking over the turrets. So I have target, position, anchor, and then all that squared away, I drop my head you know, down through the turret into sight picture. It should be there anyway because I have target, position, anchor, when I look through the scope, it should be on the target already. So I look in, but there's very minimal fishing for the target. If you do that right, you won't have to pan left and right, up, down too much to be able to see the target. So that should be just, damn, it's done. Target, position, anchor, sight picture, data. I'm looking through my scope. I can look up and I can see my elevation turrets. I can look at my arm board and I can see it. Make sure your elevation is there. Yes, I forgot to dial my elevation before. Yes, I'll probably, if I take it out of my process, I'll probably forget to do that again. If I skip anything prior to that, there's a chance that I'll have to fish for the target and then that'll slow me down. So that'll cost me 10 seconds versus the two seconds it takes me to go through that process. So, so it saves me time, it saves me from forgetting, and it makes it very efficient, right? And then once I do that, uh, because I have position, because I've anchored, because I have sight picture, I have the time to like double check my wind. With wind, you know, I do my thing, which for everyone is complicated, so I'm not going to go into it. And then I start shooting, right? I start pulling the trigger, and I, st- I pull the trigger very slowly. I pull it, I feel the skin squish, I feel weight coming into my trigger, I'm staring at my target, it shoots, and I look to see where it hit. Follow through, and then I decide. Right Then I break my position and I go through that all over again. If I go through that dry fire process like that, I identify the weaknesses that need to go back into my shot process so that I can make sure I don't have those kinds of mental mistakes. And every time I make a mental mistake, I'm talking about, you know, I drive to the range and I put my rifle down and I decide to shoot paper at 100 and I shoot. And I'm like, wow, I don't even see my hole. And then I realize, wow, I'm dialed up five mils because I didn't take my turrets back to zero. We've probably all done it. That's a mental mistake, a big one. Like never give yourself slack for those mental mistakes. And every time you make one, write it down because that has to go into your shot process. Right? Now that might be your post or pre-stage checklist, but it has to go into something because you just did it. 
and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, I won't do it again. Like, yeah, it was just a thing. If you say that, someone's going to beat you, right? Because someone out there is putting in the effort, and they're putting in the effort that way, which is going to make them really better, not just, you know, paying money somewhere to kind of like eke out points for the short term. So anyway, this was long-winded. It was very opinionated, and it kind of circled all over the place, but I thought it was interesting because it had circled around so many times. I felt like it was fun to just sit here in my basement, and now I need some more coffee. I'm going to take care of that, and then I will probably record another one. So today there might be two, but I'm going to post this and then get to recording that second one. I'll probably, and now I have, now there's, there's, there's three of you out there or three or four of you out there that I did interviews with. I'm still editing them, but there should be some interviews coming out hopefully in the next week or two. I'm just really slow at doing that. It's not, not totally my thing. And then some rifle craft development, some coaching stuff, some assessment stuff. But for the rest of the year, we're going to be talking about how you can train over the winter to have a good 2023 season and things that I think you should do not being trapped by drinking what they're selling, right? Eliminate your training scars. Eliminate your mental mistakes and focus on your marksmanship. Don't focus on the hype.